We're continuing on in our series in Luke, looking at prayer, and specifically prayer in the life of Jesus. This morning we come to perhaps what is the core of Jesus' teaching on prayer, which is in Luke chapter 11. Most of what we looked at up until now has been from his example, but here we see Jesus setting down a pattern for how the disciples should pray in response to just such a request from one of his disciples. Let's, let's read in Luke 11. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I've nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, don't bother me, the door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up, and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. This is a familiar passage and particularly um, the, the what's known as the Lord's Prayer, or more correctly, the Disciples' Prayer, is very familiar to us. And I'm also going to refer, of course, to the fuller version. We find a praised version here in Luke, but I'm going to draw upon the fuller version that we see in Matthew and just talk through it. And firstly, I, I, I want to say, don't shut your minds because you're so familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Then you never know what the Lord might teach you new this morning out of it. And it's important that we, that we return to these passages um, and learn and hear and listen. It's a prayer that comes in response to an immediate request. Lord, teach us to pray. How do we pray? How do you want us to pray? And they, they make reference there to the fact that John's disciples had taught them to pray. Well, it was actually a fairly familiar thing that a rabbi, a teacher, would teach his disciples how to pray. That they would understand how to connect with God. And so it's not surprising that this same request comes from the disciples. Lord, how do you want us to pray? And interestingly enough, some of the phrases that are in this prayer are not unique. Somebody's buzzing nicely here. Is it me? (laughs) Just let me get my phone out of my pocket and put it over there and that might reduce the buzz. These phrases are not unique necessarily. Some of them have been echoed in previous Jewish prayers of the time. What is distinct is the fact that Jesus picks them up and says to his disciples, this is how you are to pray. And if we're disciples this morning, this is how we are to pray. This is giving us a pattern for prayer. And it's a pattern that I continue to use. I've been a Christian for, well, over 40 years anyway. But I still pray this prayer every day. Not necessarily literally 
sit down and say, our Father who art in heaven, but pray the pattern that is laid out here. Because for me, it's a springboard into anything else that, that God wants me to pray for. So I continue to use it as my basic form and format of prayer. It's not necessarily to be religiously repeated, but to be used as a pattern. And the prayer begins with thanksgiving and acknowledgement of who God is and what he has done. The first section is all about praise, thanksgiving and acknowledgement. It's setting first, right at the outset, who God is. Acknowledging that he's above all. That actually it's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about me coming and just pouring out my needs and my desires and what's on my heart. But coming and saying, God, it's about you. And it's because you are Lord, it's because you are King, it's because you reign that I can come and bring my requests and bring my petitions to you. And it starts with this wonderful phrase, our Father. Our Father. It's an acknowledgement of the fact that we are his children and that we are in relationship with him. And it establishes right at the commencement of the prayer also our corporeity. It's not just my father, it's our father. I'm in a body with you. And I am only a disciple as much as we are disciples together for God has established us in his church and has established us as a people. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about us and what God has called us to. And right at the outset, it's a reminder to me that I'm not on my own, that I'm part of you. And you're part of me. And together we can establish the purpose of God in this place. Our Father. Our Father was amazing. It's an amazing thing that Jesus prayed. He was encouraging his disciples not just to refer to God as Yahweh or El Shaddai, the Almighty. But as Father. He was defining a new relationship between them and God within the community he had established. And it's our privilege to share in that same relationship. To call him not just Father, but Daddy, Abba Father, as it says elsewhere. He's encouraging them to enter into a level of intimacy with God. He is Almighty God. He is the king of the universe. He is creator of all things. But he's your father. He's your daddy. He's there with you. He's there for you. He's alongside you. He's with you day by day in the difficulties and in the things that confront us. There's a level of intimacy unheard of before. And it doesn't mean that he's not still almighty God. But he's chosen to relate to us in a personal way. In the previous chapter, in verse 22, Jesus said nobody could know the Father except those to whom he chose to reveal him. And so here we have Jesus making this disclosure to his disciples and to all who would follow after him. You can't know God except through Jesus. And Jesus says, you can know him because I've made him known to him. Relate to him, pray to him, talk to him as our Father, Daddy. Who is in heaven, which doesn't appear in Luke, but does appear in the Matthew, more full form of this prayer. And this acknowledges that he is above us, that he's seated upon the throne of the universe, that he reigns over all. 
It expresses his omnipresence, the fact that he's everywhere. Who, he who fills heaven and earth. It establishes his majesty and dominion, his power and might. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven and has done whatever he pleased. Nobody restricts what God does. And our Father is the one who is in heaven and does whatever he desires. Psalm 33, sorry, Psalm 33 verse 13 says, The Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the sons of men and women as well. He's looking down on us. And when we're looking up to heaven, we can see him looking down on us. Our Father who is in heaven is the one who looks into your life and sees the daily things that happen and is with you. Hallowed be your name. Well, what does that mean? Hallowed is an old English word that we don't often use in, in our general conversation, isn't it? When did you last word that you use the word hallowed? Oh, that was a very hallowed day, wasn't it? <laughs> All Hallows Eve, I suppose, is the is the it's the closest we ever come. Halloween. Hallowed. Hallowed be your name. It means separated, set apart. It means seeing that God's name is holy, separated from the earth. It's above ours, and we are privileged to be able to name it, to come and use it. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that the name of God was honored. It's no different in the New Testament. Hallowed be your name. Honoured is your name. Separated, wonderful, marvellous, majestic. When we honour someone's name, we honour all that they are. We affirm their attributes, their power, their position and their achievements. And when we honour God's name, we are affirming all that he is and are setting him in the rightful place in our lives. Honoured be the name of Jesus. Lifted high is the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. As it says in one of the Psalms. And in that song that we used to sing. The righteous shall run into it and be saved. The name of the Lord is powerful. The name of the Lord is to be held in high esteem. Interesting, isn't it? I'm not that too bothered by people effing and blinding. But I am bothered when they use the name of Jesus. Because it wounds. It's about someone I love. Honoured is the name of the Lord. Let's honour his name, not dishonour it. Your kingdom come. This is the first request. And it's an expression asking that God's kingdom rule and reign might be seen on earth and there are two elements to this on the one hand it's eschatological it's looking forward to the time when Jesus is coming and we're saying come Lord Jesus come Lord Jesus come and reign come and be all that you are on this earth 
Come and establish your kingdom righteous and justly rule here. Come and set things to right. Come and deal with with those who would oppose you. Come, Lord Jesus, your kingdom come. That's part of it. But we're also saying that and asking that God's rule and reign might be seen now in the world. And especially in the situations that confront us day by day. We can pray, God I ask that your kingdom might come in this situation. We can pray that we might see God's kingdom demonstrated amongst us and through us. We can pray that others might come into the kingdom and come under God's rule. Your kingdom come into this person's life. Your reign might come and and overshadow all that they are. Your kingdom authority might come and establish justice in the earth. We are calling upon the kingdom of God, upon the Lord himself to come and establish righteousness here. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven there is absolute obedience to the will of God. And the result of that is harmony and order. But here we can, we can request that we might see the same harmony and order in the world around us. And that people and circumstances might come into the will of God. And that nothing might thwart his purposes in our lives. And these two phrases are really an opportunity to bring our concerns before God, having acknowledged his greatness and supremacy. They affirm that we are in partnership with the divine to work out his purposes on earth, just as they're being worked out in heaven. As you pray these words, think about the circumstances in your life where you want to see God's kingdom come. And God's will done. It may be a family member who needs to come to faith. Your kingdom come. It may be a difficult situation in your work. Your kingdom come. It may be a desire to see God use you in a certain way. Your will be done. It might be that something is not working out as you had hoped. Your will be done. Give it all over to him and let his reign come. Into the circumstances. And having prayed looking outwards. Having acknowledged him as Lord and then having prayed looking outwards. We then come to praying looking inwards. We petition. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a personal request. It's not simply a request for God to feed us, but a request that all we need for life might be given to us. That everything that pertains to life and godliness and health, that God might give it to us. It's an acknowledgement also that all that we have anyway is from his hand. That nothing that we have is not already his. That you have nothing in your life that he hasn't given you. There is nothing that you own that is not already his. And as we acknowledge that, we're acknowledging that we are dependent upon him every day.
We are dependent upon his divine providence. And it's therefore fitting that we come daily before his throne to ask for his provision for that day. We may be able to go a day without food, but it's not always comfortable. We may be able to go a day without prayer, but we will feel the lack of grace in our lives. And in this phrase, we are affirming our faith in God to be able to provide for us. You see, your provision is not dependent on your employer. It's not dependent upon the government. And God may use either of them. Our provision is dependent upon God and upon his grace and upon his beneficence. For he is faithful. There's also a reference back here to the manna in the wilderness. Give us this day our daily bread. In the wilderness, you remember the people of Israel were told to go out and collect manna. And they were to collect manna each day. And God promised to provide for them each day. If they tried to grab too much for two days, it just went rotten. Because they had to have daily dependence upon him. Listen. The only way you and I are going to get through this life is with daily dependence upon him. Any other provision will will turn rotten. It's daily dependence that he calls us to. And therefore he calls us to come before him daily and say, Lord, all that I need for this day, you have. Lord, give me according to your grace and according to your abundance. Give us this day. Our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In this phrase, Jesus is reminding us to keep short accounts. We need to take the opportunity daily to allow God to scrutinize our lives so that we can ask his forgiveness. Remember what I said last week. That the devil is the accuser and he's standing there waiting to accuse us of all this unconfessed sin. Well, if you're coming before God every day and confessing your sin and asking God's forgiveness, then the enemy's got no ground in you. There's no accusation. There's nothing he can do. There's no finger he can point because you're clean before him. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. The way our sin is dealt with and does, um, is so that it does not become a burden to us and a ground of accusation. And once forgiven, we can move to a new day without any hangovers from the previous day. But the forgiveness of God is dependent on our willingness to forgive others. If you don't forgive others, don't expect to be forgiven. I'll say that again. If you won't forgive others, don't expect to be forgiven. That's the strength of what Jesus is saying here. You can't afford to bear grudges. You can't afford to hold things off against other people. I'm not going to forgive them. They hurt me too deeply. They were, they were horrible. They, they treated me with injustice. I, I, I'm angry, righteously angry, because that person wounded me. Forgive them. If you want to be forgiven, forgive them. Don't hold grudges. Don't hold back. 
don't hold it against anybody. For as your father forgives you, you, so you must forgive others. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew six fourteen to 15. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. He makes it very clear. Deal with it. And if you're holding unforgiveness against anybody this morning, if there's anybody who springs to mind that you know you've not forgiven, that you're bearing a grudge, deal with it before the end of today. Make sure it's dealt with. And then you can be forgiven and be in right relationship and standing with God. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Finally, we're instructed to ask God to keep us from temptation and from the work of the devil. Problem with temptation is it's attractive, isn't it? Not always easy to resist it, is it? If you've found the answer, please come and tell me. Lord, don't lead us. Keep us from the place of temptation and deliver us from evil. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The devil is looking to trip you up. If he can, he'll stop you praying. If he can't do that, he'll try and cause you to sin. Because he knows that it causes your relationship with God to be affected. If he can't cause you to sin, he will cause you to be discredited in some way. To undermine your witness. Or he'll cause you to suffer a relational breakdown with someone. Which causes anguish and distraction. Essentially, the devil will do everything he can to distract you from fully fulfilling the purpose of God in your life or from walking with Jesus. Hence, daily we need to ask God to protect us, to remain strong against all that the enemy would throw against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Keep us protected, Lord. Keep us safe. Keep that which you've invested in us safe for the purpose of God to be fulfilled and let your will be done through me. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. This last part is important. Even though it's not found in Luke. And it's a reminder of who we are, of who we're praying to, of the power that he has to overcome. His kingdom, his power, his glory is what will cause us to prevail. And actually it all comes back to him. For that which we do for his glory is that which then gives honour to his name. And then in Luke's gospel he goes on to give this parable. And you imagine the scene. You're in bed one night. You've got all your family tucked up. And it's about midnight And somebody who says they're your friend comes knocking. Your turn to go down and answer the door, dear. I did it last night. 
Oh, but we're all in bed. It was such a long day. I'm tired. Open the window. What do you want? I just want some bread. Someone's come from a journey. They've come to see me. I've got nothing to give them. Do you know what time it is? But I just want a bit of bread. But my family's all in bed. I just want some bread. I don't think you'd be best disposed towards this individual, friend or not. And of course it was made worse in this situation because they would, the whole family would have slept in one room. So one person getting up means everybody gets up. No lions in those days. And Jesus suggests that you and I should be just as determined in bringing our request before God. And it returns to what we were talking about last week. We're called to persist in prayer. And it's re-emphasized in what happens. It's saying, look, keep going. God isn't like that annoyed friend of yours who just wants you to go away. He's wanting you to come because your consistent prayer breaks through in the heavens and releases the answer to earth. And he says, ask. And of course in the Greek it says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And what's the promise? And the door will be open to you. For anyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. It's a promise. But it's a promise in response to persistent prayer. So we can come knowing that he will answer, but we don't go away first time saying, oh, we didn't answer. We We keep coming, and we keep coming, and we keep coming. Because God is a good father who's wanting to give good things to his children. So as we conclude, there is enough material in the Lord's Prayer to get our daily prayers started. It might be that we go off in other directions as we pray, but this is the core of the things we should be praying for daily. Let us remember to use it. And let's remember the other principles as well. He says, when you pray, not if you pray. He says, Meaningless repetition is a waste of time, but come to your Father. And it's an encouragement. Use the pattern he's given us to pray, because it's a good foundation for all our prayers. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good, isn't it? (laughs) Amen. Be blessed. Stood the test of time.